uh, when I was about, oh, I don't know, 14 or 15, Dad taught me to use a sharing knife. And it's just basically it's a big, long, lightweight knife, and you swing it down the side of the tree to shear them. So I've basically been knife shearing for over 50 years, and I still do it. And I would dare say there's probably nobody else in the world that, <laughs> for whatever that's worth, knife shearing Christmas trees, I've probably been doing it longer. That knife must be brutal sharp. I sharpen it every day. I've seen some really bad cuts uh, from those knives. I mean, if you cut yourself, it's usually going to require, it's always going to require stitches and a lot of times tendon repair. You know, so so yeah, you got it. And I've never uh, fortunately nothing says myself. Merry Christmas like tendon repair. <laughs> Welcome to the aggressive life. We're less than a week away from Christmas 2023, and i tell you one thing. The hardest-working guy in this season isn't wearing fuzzy red jumpsuit. It's not even the guy who is doing last-minute Christmas shopping. It's not even the woman who's just doing all of her baking. The hardest-working guy is probably my guest today. Corsi Tree Farm is Cincinnati's largest and longing-running Christmas tree farm, spanning over 100 acres of of U-cut evergreens and a variety of types and sizes. It started over 50 years ago, and as a business venture between Lou Corsi and his father-in-law, they had 20 acres of scotch pines. They were growing wholesale, but friends and family kept showing up to cut their own, adding acreage and a variety of Evergreen Trees, Corsi Tree Farms is now in the hands of Lou's son, Sheldon. Though I'm just meeting Sheldon, I just met your hand today, shook your hand for the first time. Uh, I know a few things are true. Just like any other farmer, he works exceptionally hard. He puts other people above himself, and he has a connection to the land that most of us don't understand in our day-to-day, nine-to-five, cubicle-driven jobs. While, while we might show up and cut a tree to take home, he spent untold hours caring for the trees that become the center of our holiday celebrations. I can't wait to find out about this because I'm currently frustrated with my tree. Today, we're going to solve all my tree problems, all your tree problems, all of your Christmas problems. Actually, all your Christmas problems are going to be solved by my guest today, the power of hard work. Welcome to the aggressive life, Sheldon. Corsi. Yeah, well, thanks a lot, but you're putting a lot of pressure on me to solve uh, <laughs> all the problems. No, uh, well, you're gonna you're gonna help me solve some problems. Okay. So here's my dilemma. Here's the deal. Let's go 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 through my problem. My wife, she has issues. She has issues, and and all of her issues she expects to solve at Christmas. Like Christmas is going to be the the perfect holiday that makes me feel good and everything is great. And she, I'm just poking a little bit fun at her, but you know we go round and round on it. Like I finally have allowed her to set up Christmas decorations before Thanksgiving. And actually, I shouldn't even say I finally allowed her. She just started doing it, <laughs> even though even though I tried to keep her from doing it. She's now doing it, which I'm like, let's not blend the holidays. Let's have Halloween. And then let's have Thanksgiving, and then let's have Christmas. But she's blending them, and, and the main thing is it's basically her hobby. She loves Christmas more than mm. anything. It's wonderful. So here's the stress point. The, 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 the stress point is she can't figure out what she wants with the tree. We had a really nice fake 
tree. Uh, it was expensive, pre-lit. We bought it several years ago on sale at the end of the season. And I thought it was great, wonderful. And then it didn't work for her. So it was gone. It was like three years and it was gone. And now we're back to like fresh cut trees. And now the problem is the freaking things, they just don't live long enough. I go the day after Thanksgiving to a local tree farm. They're nice. They're beautiful. It stops sucking water a week in. What's going on? Yeah, well, you know, my dad was a, he was a big wholesaler. And uh, in order to have trees on the lots by Thanksgiving, which is necessary, you know, if you're cutting tens of thousands of trees, you have to start um, well before Thanksgiving. You know, you might be start cutting six weeks, eight weeks before Thanksgiving exactly. so that you can get them out of the, you know, out of the field, bailed, uh, you know, stacked and loaded on trucks and delivered. And so that's that's a lot to require of a perishable. It's a perishable. You know, it's got X amount of days it's going to last. Uh, another problem is that when, when they haul Christmas trees, they haul them on open trucks with racks, uh, and the trees that are down inside, it's great, but the ones that are along the sides and on top, and they're hauling them three or 400 miles maybe, or even 100 miles, it, it really dehydrates the ones that are exposed to the wind. So it's, yeah, kind of a, it's kind of a gamble. You know, you can go to a lot, and you pick them up, and one's as light as a feather, and one feels like it's got a lot of water in it, and that's probably why. Yeah, it's partially because it's been cut a long time, but a lot of it is that, that trip, you know, so— so if I solve this problem, because I, I really like where I'm going. I like I like the, the quality of trees. I don't like the yeah. prices, by the way, but I, I, like, I like where yeah. I'm going. It's close to my house. One of the ways I could solve it is to just pick up the trees, and the heavy ones are probably still got water oh, in them yeah. and will suck water. Yeah, especially if you're buying pre-cut trees. Yeah. Yes. And, and, you know, that is one of the attractions of a cut-your-own-farm is there's no question it's fresh. So, uh, but with a, on a lot, yeah, you want to feel the weight of them. You want to just kind of feel the overall, if they feel lush, they're probably going to hold up longer. And another really, probably, it's something that I really stress to people that most people don't do is to run a humidifier in your house, whether you have huh. one or don't. Huh. But because in the wintertime, your air gets so dry, uh, if you can raise the, the humidity 10, 15, 20% in your house, it makes a world of difference on how long that tree lasts, too. So Fascinating. Okay, so it's yeah. there's more than just cutting the bottom two inches off, which I do, cut, make it fresh. You that's gotta, a good start, yeah, is cut the bottom, give it a fresh cut, and feel the weight of it. You know, you have to be, like I said, you all the trees may have come on the same truck, but there might be a really big difference between uh, the freshness of them and how much they've been dried out on the trip. All right, so should before we get to cut your own, because I want to get into that too. Before, but if I'm going to keep going to the local place, things I can do is humidifier inside the house, yeah. feel them. If, if there's two similar sized trees, the heavier ones, more hydrated, that's probably a good one. Cut the bottom off. Is it two inches, three inches, oh, one inch? Is really, it just a, a half an inch is enough. Oh, that's enough. Yeah, all you're just trying to do is reopen the uh, the pores on the bottom that actually. Draw the moisture in, you okay, because they seal over with sap after they're cut. So, is there any other 
hidden hacks that I might not be yeah, doing. Yeah, well, uh, a, a, another big factor is the variety of tree. Pines, which are scotch pine mostly and white pine, they hold their needles exceptionally well. Then the fir trees do real well. They're kind of like almost as good. Uh, spruce trees, and I sell a lot of spruce, they don't hold their needles real well. They'll last, with, particularly with if you keep the humidity up, they'll last probably four or five weeks in the house, okay. at least three weeks. So, But everybody cuts early this year. They cut Thanksgiving weekends, one of my big ones. And you know, you're you're asking a tree to last five or six weeks just to get to Christmas, you know, right. five weeks probably anyway. And that's – most of them will, but once in a while you'll, you'll get one that doesn't. Okay, so here's here's why I don't cut my own tree anymore because we used to do that when we did – when we'd find some place and do it. They're, they're just not as good. They're, they're not as symmetrical. They're, they're – uh, you get these ones off the lot, man. Every one is like, like – Damn, that is a that is that is a beautiful tree, and I, I assume the reason is because the ones that are sold in the lots, at least the lot that I'm going to, they're probably expensive because they got people all year long are trimming them up to make sure they're symmetrical. Is that is that what you guys do? Yeah, I do. You do. Uh, every tree. You do. Like you are the guy personally. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've um, I've been shearing trees since I learned when I was like five or six years old. Uh, when I was about. Oh, I don't know, 14 or 15, Dad taught me to use a shearing knife. And it's just basically it's a big, long, lightweight knife, and you swing it down the side of the tree to shear them. And I've taught a lot of boys how to do it. But back then, I had a lot of trees. I couldn't shear them all myself. Now I've scaled back to where I do all my own trimming. You know, no no two guys shear them the same. And so there is, there is variation in the way they were sheared. Now... And anybody that's been there can tell you that the trees are all very, very similar. They're either all right or they're all wrong because I'm doing them all. So, uh, and I've been knife shearing. I still knife shear. I'm uh, be 68 here in a couple weeks. You are not 68. Yeah, yeah. Get out of here. Are you serious? (laughs) But uh, so I've basically been knife shearing for over 50 years, and I still do it. And I would dare say there's probably nobody else in the world that. For whatever that's worth, knife shearing Christmas trees, I've probably been doing it longer than anybody that's still currently doing it. You know, it's a little rough on you. It's a tough. It's a tough job. All but, right, I, but that but that does make the trees very symmetrical. So let's geek out on this. I want you to give away your hidden secrets, not because any of us are ever going to do this, but I just find guys who work with their hands fascinating. I find old school techniques just not used. I think there's uh, I think there's a reason why men are four times more prone to depression than are women. And I don't think it's just that uh, we're more lonely. I do think there's this connection that men have historically had throughout all anthropological history with the work of our hands. And we get done at the end of the day and we turn around and we look what we did. And I think for the average guy, they feel satisfied. I did that. Most of us, like myself, don't have that. I turn around at the end of the day and I look at my computer and said, well, I had some Zoom calls today. <laughs> I yeah. turn around at the end of the day and look at my calendar. And well, I had a full calendar today. But the, you know, I, I think you know, folks like you, I always want to dig into your story because I'm so fascinated by it because you're, you're doing stuff. Well, that's, you know, that, that method of sharing is, is old school. Um, I've tried different, different methods, but there is nothing that does it as well as a knife with a guy that knows how to use it. When I look at the farm, when you say knife, you're talking about like a like a uh, 
machete? Yeah, but it's a real lightweight blade. I mean, it's 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 about uh, maybe an inch and a half or inch and a quarter wide all the way down, but it's super lightweight because the idea is to get a lot of speed on it. Ah, and okay. to get speed on it, you got to take it. You got to snap your wrist as you're coming down. And if you're doing, if you're using a heavy knife, uh, it just wears your arm out. You know, right. but I've tried. I bought a machine one year called a Sage Trimmer, and it had a eight foot sickle bar that came that was supported by a backpack and a gasoline mower motor, and you walk around the tree with that. And it was just uh, it, it was a weirdest invention. But I I spent a lot of money for it, so I used it a few years to justify the purchase. <laughs> but if I had ever fallen with that on my back, it would be like falling into a shark pit. I mean, it had eight-foot blade with sickle bar blade, you know, cutters. So, um, and it didn't do the job that a knife, you know, a knife is just the way to go. Now, I look at the farm and, and you know, it, it, it's so much different than, and you brought up the point that you actually, you get a lot of personal satisfaction, a lot of gratification from, from doing this job. And you can, I look at the farm and I look at all the trees and I'm like, Wow, I, I either have sheared all those or I I I, I have to do them, and uh, people were just kind of blown away by that. But it's like eating an elephant. You know how you eat an elephant one bite at a time. So I go out. I'm a real. I, I set goals. I set daily goals. Uh, you know. So I go. Okay. You know. This is all overwhelming. But all I have to do is just just a few rows in this patch today. That's my goal. So, you know, I do that. And then if I still feel good, I might do a couple more rows. If not, uh, then I go do something else and I've reached that goal for the day. So how long is a row? Oh, it would depends on the field, but let's just say, let's say I'm going to knife shear three hours or four hours maybe. And I take plenty of breaks. I don't work like I used to. So, uh, but you know, basically you just take a chunk and you say, okay, I'm going to do this today, you know, so. So when you bring that knife down to cut it, you're not cutting a branch by the by the trunk. It's hitting the, the outer edges of the of the branch. Oh yeah, no, you're cutting the new growth. Like the trees, they they do all their growing in in uh, say May, from from early May through about mid June. They're putting out their new growth, and when they put out their new growth, it's really soft, and it's easy to cut. And um, and then as the year goes on, it gets a little tougher, but you're still only cutting the new growth. So it, it's, it's, you know, you're not, you know, hopefully you can take a swing and take a full cut from top to bottom. That know? knife must be brutal sharp. I sharpen it every day. Uh, I sharpen it with a stone. I don't shear with short pants. I wear gloves on my hands because... Uh, I've seen some really bad cuts uh, from those knives. I mean, if you cut yourself, it's usually going to require, it's always going to require stitches and a lot of times tendon repair. You know, so, so yeah, you got to, and I've never uh, fortunately. Nothing says Merry Christmas like tendon repair. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, there's a certain amount of risk to it, but uh uh, but I've been doing it 50 some years and I've never cut myself anything significantly, you know, so. Well, if you're taking one hand to come down with speed, how are you getting the other hand in there to even get cut? How does that, how, how, do, how do you get hurt? Your well, uh, the worst cut that I've ever seen, my brother cut his hand and he hit himself across these two knuckles and cut about halfway through him when he was <laughs> like uh, 15. But what he did, he was a, he was a young, he was 15, he was young, he's little, and he, he was one of those guys that did everything 
full bore. So as he's cutting with a knife, and we didn't wear a glove on our left hand at that time, and he used his other hand to kind of balance out, and he, uh, he came down and hit his fingers. So we, yeah, you know, it was. Yeah, I remember that day. It was pretty ugly. Oh so. gosh. So let's say, uh, first of all, I'll just say this, I'm going to put dibs in for your farm next year because I don't know what your sales goals are, but we're going to freaking crush those next year. <laughs> and, you, and, you, and you need to make sure that you save a good nine-foot tree for you because I am coming out. I am coming out. That's okay. going to make – so your average, if I do a nine-foot tree, how many, how many times in the course of that tree's life do you have your knife on it? Um. Oh, I would say probably seven or eight times I've sheared it. You know, it's – I leave – I usually when I shear, I mean, they'll grow. They might grow a foot and a half, but I usually take off all but about 14 or 15 inches on the top because you, that's what keeps them compact and dense. You want to keep that top growth under control. And uh, you don't really shear them the first year usually. So, um, so probably, yeah, probably seven or eight times. All right. That makes sense. But – yeah. Uh, the, well, when I've gone to cut my own tree, which we've done for a while, it, it's just they're crappy trees. And so it's just because yeah. it doesn't have an owner that's actually grooming them like you are. Is that right? Probably. And, you know, I'm kind of a dying breed. I mean, you know, uh, I've outlasted a lot of my competition. I've seen businesses close. I've seen seen them change hands. And sometimes if, if it changes hands— uh, the guy that comes in and takes it over really doesn't know what he's doing. And I didn't either when I first started. You know, I learned stuff every year. And um, and sometimes it's just uh, you've had bad weather, diseases, this or that. So sometimes it's stuff that's beyond your control. I mean, if we have a drought like we did in, I think it was 02, was the last bad one that I had. It wiped out everything I planted that year. I, planted, uh. I, I think I planted probably fifteen or 20,000 trees that year. And uh, so the next year, I doubled up. I planted twice as many. And fortunately, I didn't have two bad survivals back to back. But somewhere down the the road, even though the crops overlap, you're going to have a little bit of a, 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 a slow spot in your supply, a little low spot, you know. So you, you, that can be it, too. But, uh, you know, so. 15 to 20,000 trees, you then double up. So you got 30,000 trees that get yeah. planted and that's 30,000 trees that have to get groomed. Is that eventually, the right word, groomed? Yeah, eventually. Yeah, yeah pruned, sheared. Gosh. Uh, yeah, but, I mean, if you planted 15,000 this year and fifteen the next year, it's still 30,000. But now I don't – since now that I'm kind of a pretty much a one-man show, I just plant about 5,000 trees a year. I've cut way back. And, uh, you know, I, I, I started doing stuff to try and make the business fit myself and my age uh, mm. because, you know, it gets harder every year as I get older. So there's no way back then it was easy to find help. I had half a dozen boys cheering for me all summer, stuff like that. And that's, it's hard to do that nowadays, you know, finding that much help. So Is it because younger kids don't want to do that kind of work or what? Oh, I, I don't want to, I don't want to paint young people with such a broad br brush, but maybe there's just a lot more easier maybe there's easier options now yeah. of course and you can't blame them for no, that right but, but when you take a when you hire an 18 or 19 year old uh person to come out it, it, you know if i could still hire guys for stardom at seven or eight dollars an hour it'd be a different story but now 
Um, everybody kind of feels like they should be starting at $15 an hour. And it's just, it takes me several weeks to teach a guy to shear, obviously. So it's, it's really hard to do. And that's why you see a lot of guys are getting out of doing hay. And, and fortunately, tobacco is a thing of the past. But Fortunately? No, that's know. not fortunately. Well, I mean. Talk to a tobacco user here. <laughs> well, no, man, we need people growing America's cash crop. Well, it's uh, also known as their cancer crop. <laughs> when I say fortunately, I mean that they really relied on a lot of that cheap farm labor, right. and it's just not there anymore. So, yeah, when I say fortunately, I mean it's, uh, tobacco farmers would be in the same position as me if they were still raising it. You know, it's um, I've been thinking about, about this a lot recently because I went down to the Mexican border just to see what's going on with the whole immigration stuff there, and it was uh, it was crazy. Uh, it was. Heartbreaking, and there's no easy answers to it at all. Yeah. Um, but I went down. But ba- basically, bottom line for me is, we need stronger border security, and we need to let more people into the country legally. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons I say is, like, I I don't talk to a business owner who's like yourself who doesn't say the same thing. You yeah, just can't find. Real and it's not really you can't find people who want to work. Because if the unemployment's at four percent, people are working. They just would prefer not to do those kind of jobs. Right. But yeah. those are the folks who are hiking up from Venezuela and Guatemala who are who are up for it. That doesn't matter where I turn. A rancher that I hunted elk on his property out in Idaho. If it's you, if it's somebody who does pools, if, it, if drywallers, everybody is in that same position. Yeah. Yeah. If I mean, if if they were a legal immigrant and they came to me. You know, and wanted work. Um, you know, uh, I would, I would use them. But actually, since now that I've kind of tailored the, the, the farm more to something that I can do myself, I'm no longer in that position where I rely on that. You know, well, I want to um, talk about that. Uh, in fact, I want to take a note. I want to get to that. But let me let me let's back to, get back to trees. When you're planting these fifteen thousand, twenty thousand, thirty thousand trees, or when you were, yeah, um, and you're planting how many right now? Did you say five thousand? Five thousand. Yeah. Are you are you planting a literal seed, or is there a little sapling nearby? No, I, I buy um, I buy trees ideally like in the fifteen to eighteen inch above ground, and then they've also got a nice big root system, and we plant them with a. Uh, a tree planter that you pull behind the tractor, two people ride it. I drive the tractor. I got a couple people riding it, and they, they put the tree in the ground, and then the ground, it, it squeezes the ground shut on the tree. So, you know, depending on conditions, nice long rows, we might be able to average four or 500 trees an hour. So it really, a couple of days, usually we can get them all planted, you know. So if I come to you and buy a tree— how much am I going to pay for the tree? Well, a the, nine foot nice tree. This year we had a flat price of eighty five dollars, which includes the tax. Which so the tree is actually probably eighty five dollars. Yeah, that's yeah. ridiculously low. Eighty five dollars. I'd say right now the entire Tome family, we're all kicking ourselves. What the hell are we doing? I, t- I take my three kids, all my grandkids, my Lib and I. We go to the same place, and we go. Oh my gosh, the price of trees. Ah. $85, brother. Yeah. Brother, it's time for you to raise prices. Yeah, My well, word. Yeah, I, I, uh, the thing is that what for I— For a groomed tree? Oh, yeah. No, what I, what I do is I go out. I, I You know, I can kind of estimate what I whether I have plenty of trees for a season or I don't. And if I have plenty, then I don't 
juggle. I don't change my price much. Uh, if I feel like that I have, maybe I'm going to be really have trouble having the, the number of trees that I need, then I might use that. Uh, I'll go ahead and maybe raise my price a few bucks because that always, that, that'll scare off a few customers. So it's always kind of a bounce. But yeah, I had, you know, at $85, like our season's pretty much over. Uh, we got a little bit of sales left, but uh, there's still a lot of nice trees out there, which means... There that, is. Yeah. So even though the price was really Shoot, mine's good. about dead. I might need to strip everything <laughs> off my tree and get out there and get another tree. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Now, I mean, uh, but of course, at this point in the season, seven feet, seven and a half feet is about as big as you're going to find that's nice, you know. Beginning of this, everybody... Everybody buys bigger stuff, or a lot of people do. They so the eight and nine foot and ten foot trees go pretty quickly. They do, you know. Yeah. How much do you buy the little sapling thing for? They run with shipping and everything. Uh, yeah, they're in the four to five dollar uh, range, which right. uh, you know that's for now. I I could buy cheaper plants. I could buy stuff for a dollar a piece, but I like starting with a good plant. Yeah. Uh, but you know, you take. Five thousand trees times four bucks yeah, a piece. Yeah, that's pretty it's crazy. If you're grand. selling for eighty-five, every mm-hmm. tree has eighty dollars. Is a that's not much going into that tree. All yeah. your labor, all the water, the fertilizer. If you're doing fertilizer, the taxes you're paying on the ground, and eighty dollars. That thing to grow over how long? How long does it take to get a nine foot tree? Oh. Seven or eight, nine years, Jeez. you know, yeah. pretty much. Because they don't grow much the first year, so, you know. But uh, I know there's people would come out and pay twice that. So sometimes I say, well, should I be raising half as many trees and selling them for twice as much, be making the same money and not working as hard? But uh, but then I, I like to be affordable because I've got people that, you know, they may be retired or they, they're not making – you know, a lot of money and they can still afford me and they've been coming there for 30 years. So I, right. I hate to price anybody out of it, you know. Right. So. And, and people are coming and is it the old thing where they're getting on a tractor hay wagon, you pull them out and they get out and they pick their tree and chop it up, chop it down or saw it down. Is that the... Well, everything is foot traffic. Uh, we've, okay. we've got, they have to go out by foot and... You know, there's trees that are 200 feet from the parking lot. There's trees that are a quarter mile from the parking lot. It just depends on how energetic they are and, and whether they're carrying toddlers and stuff, you know. We don't do any type, like, wagon rides, stuff like that, because you get into such a whole uh, liability thing. Mm, yeah. You know, man, I mean, you know, it's so easy to for somebody to get hurt. Mm. So, so, yeah, I stay away from all that. We don't allow chainsaws for the same reason, you know. Now you got to cut them with a handsaw or a sawzall or something, you know. Yeah. But no chainsaws. Yeah. I'm curious about, you said you're scaling the business for where you are right now. I find that interesting because, you know, I'm, none of us are getting any younger. And and I've got, you're 68, so, you know, uh, I, I've declared I'm going to keep going at my current Royal Crossroads probably till I'm 70. That's 12 years. Mm-hmm. But I've also recognized, I don't know that it can be the exact same thing I'm doing and you turn the light switch off at 12 years. Oh, yeah. You're, so you're, you're scaling your business for who you are now. Talk, talk about that. Well, I'm doing that, but I'm also trying to decide that uh, if I'm going to be in my mid to late 70s when like the trees that I planted this spring – the first thing you do is you quit planting. But I've got trees ordered for next spring. I've got 5,000 trees ordered. But I, I have to realize that, Interesting. 
that those trees, I'll be in my, by the time they're ready to sell, I'm going to be in my late 70s. And so the first thing I have to do is quit planting, you know, uh, because there's no point in doing that. There's no point in planting if I, and I realistically know the difference between 68 and 75 or 78 is that's a big difference, you know. I mean, it's hard enough for me now to go out there and, Swing a sharing knife and do a lot of the stuff that I do, uh, and it isn't getting easier, you know. So, when but. did you feel the beginning of loss, uh, you know, an energy dip? What it was it energy? Was it you weren't as strong swinging the knife? Was it just you were losing emotional interest? Like, what what were the signs for you, and when did you start noticing those? Oh, well, when I was fifty, I started having some back issues, so that got me to thinking. And then when I was 60 and I, I tore something in my shoulder working, everything's work-related, and you start realizing that, uh, you know, one good big injury or a big illness can basically end – it could end my career. You know, I mean, let's say that I get some – you know, get some kind of an illness where I just can't work anymore. Physical work, it's done. You know, so you have to kind of – so it's it's been – uh, and I do have – I don't have the drive and energy I had 20 years ago. You know, uh, at, 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 at 48, I was still going – man, I was hitting the floor with both feet in the morning. Um, but uh, now I just don't really feel like – I don't have the energy, but then again, I don't feel the motivation to kill myself anymore. I really don't, you know. I mean, I, I work hard, but I don't work like I used to. So. Yeah. How much of the lack of, or their lessened drive and energy, how much do you think is, you know, as men, we, we go down in testosterone, we mm -hmm. go down, how much is that, how much of it is, I've just been doing the same thing forever, so I'm just naturally going to be not as excited about the thing I've been doing forever and ever and ever. Yeah, well, it's a real combination. Uh Obviously, I don't have the the stamina that I used to, but I still I'm still interested in what I I still like what I do. I don't get up in the morning and go, oh, I've got to go out and do this or do that today. I don't I don't dread working. So it, I think it's it's most of it's physical. Uh, it's just a, just the reduction in energy and stamina and stuff. But I don't mind. I I, I kind of got a head start on that. Um, you know, by I started scaling back before I really needed to because, like, I'm looking down the road seven or eight years and saying, okay, you know, what? Are, how, how am I doing stuff now that am I going to still be able to do that seven or eight years down the road? Like, we, I injured my shoulder digging trees. Uh, can't get any help. Um, so I was out there. You can't get any help. You can't find people to pay to do what you're doing. Uh, yeah, it's, you know, well, I, I dig them with a tree spade, but there's a lot of ground. There's a lot of hard work involved besides that, putting the burlap on, tying the branches up, this and that. And um, so I was doing it by myself. Didn't mind. It's a pretty day. I'm out there, you know. Well, I'm working on them, and I just tore a little something in my shoulder because my shoulder's 60 years old. And uh, so at that point, I decided I'm through with digging trees. I've been digging trees for at that point, probably forty some years. So, so by eliminating that job, it makes my overall job a lot easier. You know, I quit doing that. We used, I used to deliver, deliver and plant, and sell a lot of live trees to landscapers and garden stores, and that's that's done now. And I don't, I don't miss it. You know. So, have you sold off land? 
No, it's just it's uh, just un, undeveloped land right now, no trees on it. Correct. Yeah, yeah. And, and there's a couple of reasons. Um, one is accessibility to the parking lot. I'm trying to keep stuff up closer to the parking lot. Uh, and the other thing is that I, I've got some fields I planted that I probably should never should have planted in the first place. They're down in a floodplain. The creek comes up, floods and stuff. So as I've decided to scale back, I know what what fields that I really don't want to plant anymore. So I used to have about 60 acres in trees um, and say at that time I was fitting probably, oh gosh, 12, 1,300 trees per acre. And now uh, I've got probably maybe th- maybe 40 acres of trees. And the way I'm spacing them, I, it's about 1,100 trees per acre. So I've got about probably two-thirds of the trees that I used to have actually in the ground and growing. Hmm. So Interesting. So when you're done, are you grooming somebody to take over the business? Or are you done and you're just selling everything and moving off into... Well, you know, that's, that's a good question. Did. Everybody, you know, it's funny I say, because I get, my tree customers have been coming there for 30 years. They go, so how, Mr. Corsi, how much longer are you going to do this? I'm like, I don't know. And, you know, who's going to take it over? I say, well, as far as I know, no one. And I don't know how many times somebody said, well, don't you have any kids? Well, I've got, I've got two kids, but they have their own life and, and, and they, do not want to do it. And I don't, I can't say I blame them, you know. Yeah, right. So, and, right. and nobody chose it for me. When I decided to be a tree farmer, uh, I was living out of state. I knew dad was wanting to retire. He was going to sell this farm. It's a beautiful farm. So it, I was 25 when I decided to do it, which is a good age because you can have a, a fairly long career. But like my kids are both, one's over 40, one's pushing 40 they're kind of almost too old to right do, really exactly. you know. by the time they get the hang of it they're going to be jacking up their shoulder yeah well like i said i yeah. started having back issues at 50 so but you know the thing is uh, doing it at age 25 which is the age where really probably a person should start doing it i'm 25 years old and it's like it's not exciting you know i mean it's not a very glamorous life um but the older you get the more you don't want a glamorous life. You don't want to have to travel and stay in hotels and stuff. You got little kids, you know, you want to be home every night. And uh, so it's kind of a, I've grown into the job a lot. I, you know, and that didn't take very long, particularly with little kids. I was glad that I was home every night. You know, I used to see these guys that flew for Delta and they're flying international routes and stuff. And I'm man, you guys got it made. Cause I used to have a interest in aviation and those guys come out there and, you know, they've just flown to Europe. They had to spend the night there. They missed the kids' ball games. And they come out and they look around. And they go, man, you got it made. You know, so. <laughs> right. You know how that works. Yeah, the, the Bible has this verse I've been thinking about a lot recently. It says, uh, make it your ambition to live a simple life and work with your hands. Yeah, well, that kind of describes me. Yeah. <laughs> Mine, yeah. That's an ambition yeah. to do that. But you're right. For- but it's not exciting, you know. Uh, but no, Don. Uh, but exciting gets old. Well, that's know? what I say. I don't want exciting. Yeah, now. fulfilling you know. is what 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 does it to to feel like you're making an impact and you've got a tangible, concrete product you're selling and you're on tangible, concrete ground that you own, and you're tapping into what people have done for generation after generation. Every corner of the globe is is pretty cool. Yeah. 
Today's episode is brought to you by AG1. I gave AG1 a try because I was feeling a bit sluggish, not confident I was getting all the nutrients that I felt that I needed, and I thought maybe this is an easy solution. So I drink AG1 in the morning. I love doing the morning. I do it on an empty stomach. It forces me to get 12 ounces of water into my system. I love doing something proactive and aggressive to make me feel better and at least give me peace of mind. AG1 is designed with this kind of ease in mind so you can live healthier and better without having to complicate your routine. Each scoop has 75 vitamins, minerals, probiotics, and whole food sourced ingredients of the highest quality. If you want to take ownership of your health, try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. So go to drinkag1.com slash aggressive life. That's drinkag1.com slash aggressive life to take control of your health. Check it out. I know what you need on your plates this holiday season because I've had it on mine recently. Flying K Ranch Beef. Oh, my freaking goodness. Holy shnikes. There's benefits to having a podcast that's growing. One of them is the people send you free stuff hoping you'll like it and then talk about it. That's what happened with Flying K Ranch Beef. They sent me a smorgasbord of steaks. They are mouth-watering. The burgers are incredible. And the roasts make family dinner a breeze. They're located in Findlay, Ohio. uh, And they have no hormones. Let me say that again. Flying K Ranch has no hormones or antibiotics. So it's basically... Like when I go elk hunting or deer hunting or something like that. It's pure, pure meat. They raise their cattle on pastures just the way cattle like it. Flying K Ranch is a family business partnering with Ohio State Nutrition Program, Beef Quality Assurance, and Certified Angus Beef National, ensuring happy results for both cattle and people. That's a lot of words just to say this. The beef is amazing. Order it now. Get it on your table over the holidays, and you will not be disappointed because I have not. Find out more and place your orders at flyingkranchangus.com. That's flyingkranchangus.com. And now I'm hungry. So you're not sure what your end game then is, if you're selling no. it or if you're shutting it down or whatever, but that's... Yeah, well, I don't really want to sell the farm because, uh, uh, you know, it's just, I've got I've got a couple old dogs buried there. I've got my daughter got married there. My dad's ashes are there, all that stuff. So it's not just a simple, it's my home. Mm. Um, And, um, you know, ideally it'd be nice to just, since I've got such this, this nice rotation of trees coming on from stuff we planted this year right up to... Eight nine. It'd be nice to hire a nursery manager to come in and do all the yeah. stuff that yeah. I do. Interesting. And uh, but you know that's a hard thing. Usually by the time guys are the age where they think they want to do it, they're kind of getting too old. You know. So if you could if you could lure a young guy in to do it uh, and just take over the operations without selling the farm, that would be great. But, oh, fascinating. You know, so here's the land. Do it. You pay me some nominal fee for or some fee for farming it, but 
yeah. your your business go. If you want you're, you want to raise prices to two hundred dollars, and you think you make great, that doesn't mean me. You're still going to pay me yeah. basic land space or something like well, that. Well, one of my competitors actually did that. He the the guy that started. He had a beautiful tree farm and. And he just wanted to retire, so he, a young guy took it over, and, and the guy has struggled immensely. I don't know what is going on, but they're they're no longer really even a competitor because he's had so much problem, you know, so many problems. So, so you know, that transition, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, and nobody does it exactly like when I when I came in and I and I bought the farm off my parents and and I started doing it my way and and uh, in the beginning my dad really thought I was nuts he thought I was doing it the wrong way but you know so the, there's and if somebody else takes it over they won't do it like I do it they yeah. might do it better they might not you know who knows I uh, think a fascinating phrase that you said earlier on I'm actually going to bring this to our just people here and staff at Crossroads, it's my day job, is I love this phrase, or hate it, depending on how you look at it, quit planting. Yeah. That, that's, the, that's the line. When you say, I'm not going to plant this year, you're basically saying, you know, I'm out in seven years or, or, or right. whatever it is. Quit planting. Yeah. And uh, I think that's a really, that's really good vernacular to use in whatever business you're in. Like, as soon as you don't have the energy to start doing things that you're not going to reap a benefit from for seven years. Yeah. Uh, bad, bad news. This is actually, you know, my day job is pastor of a church. This is, this is a huge problem with churches. Churches don't want to plant anything. They just want to take people from other churches. Mm-hmm. They, don't, they, don't, they, don't, they don't want to actually spend the time working with somebody who is an atheist or an agnostic or doesn't have church background, doesn't know the Bible. No, they, they, they just want to come in and, oh, no, 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 let me tell you really what the Bible says. Let me give you a perfect spiritual experience for you. They're, they're not planting. They're just mm-hmm. trying to reap what somebody else has planted, you know, years in, er, ago because it's harder. It's, it's harder to do that in any line of work. So I, that's fresh. Mm-hmm. Quit, don't quit, or if you do quit planting, that says something. Yeah. Well, you know, the other, like my dad always said, he said, you know, he says, keep keep planting trees. And if you get to where you can't take care of them, he said, go out there and mow them down. Just bush hog them down, which theoretically you could do. Oh, that'd be horrible. But I can't do that. <laughs> right. You know? uh, right. So, and, but a, a lot of parts of the farm, different areas I've let grow up. So we've got, I've got stands of like 30 and 40 foot tall, white pine, Norway spruce, that I just basically let them grow, let them go. Now it costs me the use of that piece of ground. But if I ever quit planting, I'm going to leave as many trees grow as I can, because you just don't see that around here. You don't see mature evergreen stands like that. Uh, so, uh, yeah, if I get to where I can't take care of them, I might sell what I can wholesale and then just let the rest go. You know, if I was going to, yeah. if I was going to rent the ground for beans or corn for grain farming, that I, I wouldn't do that, but it's not really a good grain farm. So, so you got a tree that's now 30 feet high or 20 feet high. What's the chances that Macy's or somebody's going to come along and buy that thing? Or has that never happened? Well, it, it um, I used to sell uh, oh, a half dozen of those a year to local towns for their town squares and this right. and that. But usually they want like a 20 or 25-foot tree, which is fine. But these things are 40-foot trees. And it, it's just a, it's a lot of work. It's another one of those big jobs. It's like a buddy of mine said the other day. He said, it's like eating crabs. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, it's a lot of work for very little <laughs> 
<laughs> very little out of right. it. Right. You know, so. Right. Uh, it is. Done... Tell my wife that. Same thing. Yes. <laughs> so this year, the only big tree that I sold, uh, I cut two. One was for our lodge. It's about a 14 foot. And then I do Kenwood Country Club's tree every year. I've been doing it for uh, 10 or 11 years. And, uh, you know, uh, but I may even, I'm thinking about backing off on that one just because I just... I'm getting lazier. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, so. right. So when you are doing the Christmas tree thing, I could I could think of one of two extremes you could go. One would be you're the most Christmas guy on earth because you're thinking Christmas all the time. It's, it's literally Christmas every day for you. Or the other extreme is uh, whatever. It's a holiday. I'm around it so much I don't think about it that much. I mean, what, what's Christmas yeah, like for well, you? Well, you know— <sighs> Uh, 11 months a year, and it does actually start in January. I start, I do my fertilizing in January. And, and, and so for 11 months a year, I'm just a farmer. Um, and then it, once I get everything ready and uh, I've got a really good crew that works, same guys work every year. Um, Mike, who uh, he's been there for 20-some years helping me since he was like 15 or 16. And uh, – so actually, when I open up for tree sales, my job gets real easy because I've got the right people doing everything else. All I have to do is just talk to people. I'm just, uh, you know, and people expect to talk to me, hmm. uh, you know, and they want to. They want to say, oh, Mr. Corsi, this is 30 years. It's 35 wow. years we've been coming here. Wow. And uh, so that's my job and, and stomping out fires. But fortunately, the last few years— there's just been no problems at all, really. You know, I just I just talk to people, and I recognize faces. A lot of them I've never known their name, but I've seen them thirty times. You know, so yeah, that's so. so yeah, actually, the this is when it does kind of I can relax and and enjoy myself is this time of year. But and I love Christmas. You know, the thing is, when I was a kid. Every house had a Christmas tree, and every tree was a real tree. So when my dad was selling trees, basically all the, the churches, the Boy Scout troops, the mom-and-pop grocery stores, the Krogers, everybody sold trees. Everybody that had an empty lot sold trees. And Krogers was my dad's big—he uh, sold to a bunch of Krogers in the tri-state area— now, in this day and age, uh, one thing that's really hurt the tree business, obviously, is artificial trees because they look so real. Yeah, they're expensive and this and that, but they really do look good. And the other thing is that there's a lot of people don't they don't observe uh, Christmas like they used to. They don't put a tree up, uh, and part of that may be because there's probably less really uh, people that observe Christianity in society than there was 50 or 60 years ago. There absolutely ago. is. And, uh, and, and people just, they don't take the time. They, yeah, it, it, our life today is so void of tradition. And this is a tradition that was really big when I was a kid. So now, instead of getting a little, a little slice of this huge pie, now I've got to try to get as big a slice, being the Cincinnati area, let's just say, of a very dwindling pie. And uh, so, you know, you got to really work hard to, to sell them today, you know. Yeah, I hadn't thought before that you're right, is, is Christianity has declined, and there's a lot of reasons for that. Mm. It 
makes sense that Christmas is declining, not the holidays, but happy holidays. We don't have that much Merry Christmases. Mm -hmm. And so when the holiday isn't as central to your faith, so I get, it makes sense that the more difficult things you wouldn't do, like get a real tree, trim the tree, all that yeah. stuff. It's difficult. There's part of why we do it isn't just because we like the Christmas tradition, but it's because it's somewhat of a holy time of year. It's important to us. Mm -hmm. uh, I hadn't thought about that before. Yeah, I mean, it's not, you know, going to a tree farm is not for everybody. I realize that. Uh, but anymore, just even putting a tree up is not for a lot of people. And like I said, when I was a kid, you went to friends' houses, everybody right. had a Christmas tree, you know. No, well, so. putting a tree up traditionally has been, a, has been the man's job. Traditionally, mm -hmm. um, a lot like my wife wouldn't have the strength to carry in and hoist our nine foot tree, to hoist mm -hmm. it up. It, it's tough to hoist the thing up. But uh, men are, um, we don't work with our hands anymore. It's, it's a lot don't, yeah. There's a, it, there's a lot of guys who are very, very smart and very capable, but just the project of get a saw, cut off a couple inches. Get it plumbed in your in your in your uh, you know in your in your base. Get it in. Get it. I mean, a lot of guys like don't do that. That that'd be a stretch. You know? Yeah. Oh yeah. But again, you know, I I'll, all I have to do is get a. I I have to get a big piece of a kind of a dwindling pie. So that's yeah. kind of been my objective. And the only way you can do that is to offer a really good product. Offer the full experience. Uh, you know, anybody can, I mean, if they want a tree, they can go to Lowe's or Home Depot and buy a tree that may be a good tree, maybe not, might be cheaper than mine. I don't know. I don't think it's cheaper maybe than 85 cheaper, bucks, brother. No but way. people don't come out there uh, just to get a tree. They come out for the full experience. And, uh, and you know, it's when you're, when you're out there, you see it. I mean, yeah. people show up and they're happy and they're, they're there to have a good time. Um, and, uh, and that's really what you're, you're selling that too. We've got a lodge that I built in 09 and, and it's got a petting zoo in it. We serve food we, on the weekends. We got guys playing acoustic music in there and stuff. So, so that's all, you know, that's, you're getting all of that for the $85 Dude, price. You too. are getting a bigger slice of the pie next year. You're at least going to sell four more trees to me and my kids. That's for amazing. So, uh, for next year, because probably too late for many of us, how do they find you next year? Where where is it? Where do you go? Give us an advertisement. What part of Cincinnati? If someone lives in the tri-state region, address, yeah. phone number, website, whatever. Well, we have a we have a website, CorsiTreeFarm.com. Um, we're actually in C O R S I TreeFarm.com. Yeah. Good. Uh, we're actually in um, we're we're in Western Brown County. We're just. Between Bethel and Hammersville, so and we're just a mile and a half off State Route 125, so it's a straight shot out 125 will get you within a mile and a half of us, and you make one turn, or you can come over from 32. We're, we're fairly That's on the accessible. east side of Pittsburgh, then, or east side of Cincinnati. Yeah, yeah. All right, good. Uh, Outside the 270 loop on the east side. Yeah, we're about actually in. from 275. In. We're 20 miles from there, straight out 125. Um, and uh, so we're fairly accessible. It's an easy drive from most parts of the city. You can be there in an hour or slightly over northern Kentucky, you know, 45 minutes from Fort Thomas or whatever. And that's where a lot of my customers come from, um, you know, 
I, I, I sell trees to a lot of local people, but a lot of my customers come from down in the Cincinnati area or is yeah. uh, 25 miles from Fort Thomas. Uh, well, it's about a 40 20, minute, 45 minute drive. Minute drive. Yeah, yeah. It's just, yeah. uh, you know, my daughter lives there. So yeah. I've made that, it's an easy drive. Um, <laughs> I'll tell you a little funny story, uh, a quick, well, I'll try to make it quick. A couple years ago, my girlfriend came over and she said, this couple's, this family's here from St. Louis to get a tree. So she said, come on. I said, Hey, I said, I, you know, it's great to have you here. You know, you got family here. They said, no. I said, well, what brings you to Cincinnati? They said, to get a tree from St. Louis. Huh. I said, you got to be kidding me. I said, no, it's tradition with us. I kind of blew my mind. Well, it ended up, I, I had a new guy working for me this Christmas. And uh, we were talking Sunday night after we got done working. We're all sitting in the lodge and unwinding. And, and he says, yeah, we, we came from St. Louis every year to get a tree here. And I said, I talked to some people from St. Louis a couple years ago. I said, was that your family? He goes, yeah. They did that 11 times. He used to live what? close by to the farm. They moved to St. Louis. And actually, either before or after that, they lived in Indy. But for 11 years, they came from St. Louis to get a, a tree from my farm and back. And now they've moved back to Cincinnati. So he worked for me this year. Just the tradition. They wanted to keep the tradition yeah. alive. Oh, he's 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 more passionate about it than I am. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so. No, you're supposed to say when I say that. No, it's because my trees are the best. That's what you're supposed to say. <laughs> well, if you ask him, that's what he would tell you. Uh, you know, and, cool. and I'm proud. Of, I'm proud of what I do. You know, but we all do it. All of us growers do it different. And I'll sometimes I'll go. I've done it several times. Go to a competitor's place. I'll go in. They don't know who I am. I go in. I'll buy a tree, cut it down, let, let I watch their entire process so I can maybe pick up some hints or, you know, whatever. That's a little industrial espionage. That's you know, cool. but it's, you know, and they probably do it to me too. Yeah, you know, so. yeah right, absolutely. Sheldon, is there anything else you want to talk about that we haven't talked about? Uh, no, I mean, you know, it's... Um, it, it's, not a, it's not a fascinating story. My life isn't. Uh, it's different. Uh, a lot of people thank me for what I'm doing, and not too many people get thanked for what yeah. they do, and I get thanked a bunch, and that means a lot. I'll tell you one more little quick story, if I might. Yeah. Um, I was out there in the spring one time. is after Christmas. It was like April or May, and I see a little a pink pair of women's Skechers tennis shoes stuck in the mud a 1,000 feet from the parking lot, stuck in this ditch. And I kind of laughed about it. You know, I go, man, somebody walked up there barefoot in the dead of winter. <laughs> so anyway, the next year, I'm, I just was talking to a random customer. And the guy said, yeah, this, this Christmas is a little different for us. Um, he said, uh, we don't have the kids and I are here. With, we don't have their mother with us. She passed away. And I'm going, yeah, I'm sorry to hear that, you know. And he said, we had the biggest laugh last year because he said, we were out there, and she stepped out of her tennis shoes in a ditch back there. And, I mean, what are the odds I'd even be talking to this guy? But uh, I said, I saw him. I said, yeah. So, you know. Mm. But, uh, and, wow. you know, in Christmas, as I'm wow. sure you know, it's a very emotional time of year. So sometimes uh, you feel like you're a, a bartender or a counselor or something, too, you know, with people talk to you about stuff that's sometimes kind of private like that, you know, which is kind of neat, you know. Yeah. So. Well, I find your job fascinating. You said you don't. I find it fascinating. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I find it heartwarming. I find it necessary. So, brother, 
thanks for being faithful. Thanks for mm-hmm. pushing forward. Thanks for showing us what good old-fashioned work looks like and serving people, serving families and memories. Really, yeah, it means a lot, a lot to me. I appreciate that. Yeah. It's CorseyTreeFarm.com, C-O-R-S-I-T-R-E-E-F-A-R-M.com. Friends, this has been Ben. Dirt, I was thinking this might be one of our shorter ones. This would be a nice little short pop-off. I want to keep going for like know, a half I, hour. I, I'm, I, I'm I utterly totally fascinated. Yeah. So this is the aggressive life, right? Aggressive life doesn't mean the flashy life. It just means there's something that you're going to do that somebody else may not want to do. Sheldon is doing something that other people don't want to do. And he's living his life and making adjustments. It's really good. What's the thing that you want to do that isn't going to be understood by others but serves a really cool niche and brings you fulfillment? I hope you find that. I hope you do that. I hope you have a Merry Christmas and a great New Year. We'll see you next year. Welcome to The Aggressive Life. Thanks for joining us on this journey toward aggressive living. Find more resources, articles, past episodes, and live events over at bryantome.com. My new books, a repackaged edition of The Five Marks of a Man and a brand new Five Marks of a Man tactical guide are open right now on Amazon. If you haven't yet, leave this podcast a rating and review. It really helps get the show in front of new listeners. And if you want to connect, find me on Instagram at Brian Tome. The Aggressive Life is a production of Crossroads Church, Cincinnati, Ohio.